0: Hello, everybody out there in comic book land. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don, and if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason, and that is a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by Comic Book Click. And as you know, I am never alone. Sir, introduce yourself.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the Nubian noob, GT Rebirth. I have survived the snapping, and I am trying to... Thrift my way through all of this goddamn patois because holy crap, this oh, show was filled <laughs> with it.
0: Oh, there is a bunch of it. That means you know what GT Rebirth is talking about. We are here to review, recap, and review the entirety of Luke Cage season two. We're back in the streets of Harlem, back in Harlem's paradise, trying to see what the uh, how much bulletproof love is still left over from season one. Uh, do you have j- just general thoughts without spoiling uh the season so far for those who have not uh gotten to the end point, I guess of thirteen thirty first of all thirteen episodes really heavy, heavier than um the Defenders were uh when they came out. But how'd you feel about this uh this load of story?
1: Actually I liked it a lot better than the second season I than the first season rather. I think it, it held my attention a lot better the entire time. Okay. Um Everything was pretty straightforward to the and All the characters, the main characters' arcs were interesting to me. Uh, the Luke Cage's struggles were interesting to me. Um, the, <clears throat> the attempt by uh, Misty Knight to recover from her injury is its own thing. Um,
0: yeah, a lot, of, a lot of where the characters are
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, didn't end in season one.
1: No, not at all.
0: There was, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of loose ends in season one. I believe at the end of season one, Luke Cage is arrested and mm-hmm. he's going to jail. and We don't, we don't really know how he's going to get out. Right. Um, and you have um, Misty or Claire, I believe, going to go try to be, get self-defense classes.
1: Mm-hmm. So the only person who had any development after season one was Luke because of Defenders. Exactly. Everyone else is pretty much in the exact same place they were at the end of season one.
0: Right, so it's, it's to see the progression of where we left off, um, again, without any spoilers, I would say that this this season was able to ma- maintain the momentum in a way that the se- the first season, the previous season, I don't think
1: could. Um, There's no, like, odd side quests at any right. point in the show.
0: There's an, in- the, and very rarely does the, the focus get taken off of Luke, and when it is, it's to be placed on the villains, and the villains have always been the most interesting part of these Netflix shows. Absolutely, um, they've done a really good job crafting these villains. And the funny thing is, uh, as I'm paying attention, these villains are are less and less just uh, doppelgangers of their comic com- book counterparts. Like there's actual work being done to create these three dimensional villains in a in a in a deeper way than they've just been portrayed on the screen. And as co- as a comic reader, you know that sometimes a villain is literally all. All there on the page, like they just—they're just evil. Yeah, uh, they're I, just...
1: I am—I am here to take over the world. Yeah, that's it. This is to be mine. I have no awkward, childlike issues to deal with because of this.
0: <laughs> um, without again, without spoiling, how did you feel about Bushmaster as the as the season's villain?
1: I thought he was great. Um, a lot better villain than uh, who was he? Will- Willis. Oh, uh, Diamondback. Yes. Yes, Diamondback was Diamondback while they did try to attempt to uh, put in some like a scorned childhood issue to it, he just seemed a bit too straightforward and on the nose, and then he comes in toward the end of the season, and it's like there's really no time to really develop the character. Right. Bushmaster throughout the entire time is not only sort of interesting and quite charismatic, but over time you find out that he has this pretty interesting backstory that ties in very much into his desires throughout the entire show. Right and what he's going through to get them. This, uh,
0: this, I feel like this season, um, a lot was laid on the table in season one about, um, the Stokes and uh, Stokes. Mama Mabel Stokes's, um, influence in Harlem and what she was able to do and how she was able to do it and the ill-gotten ways that that family has gotten its money, and um, they are able to pull from that. So many other different perspectives. How other you know how other families were affected by the Stokes' rise to power, and stuff. In a way that didn't feel forced. I didn't feel like they were just pulling power players out for the sake of um, trying to start a gang war or you know a fight to the top. This felt organic. It felt like any kind of story or rise to power that you would hear, like, like The Godfather mm-hmm. or something. Like there's always somebody on the outs, yes. and when that person on the outs looks up to, as you would say, uh, as said in this series, the man on top of the hill. (laughs) Yes. When that person on the outs looks at the person on top of the hill, they just realize that they need to take that person out to uh, then seemingly be the person on top of the hill. The haves versus the have-nots. All those um, occur in this. And I think where Luke Cage stands at various points will shock you as 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 a viewer. Not that you won't agree with him, but... A lot is said, um, my favorite thing that's probably said, and I, I'm obviously going to paraphrase it, is Luke gets into a conversation with somebody who tells him, like, you know you have ra- like wrath and anger and stuff, but if you get angry, your people are going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not just, uh, oh, well, I just got a little mad. Like, you have to be better because your um, strengths are stronger. So you have to be held more accountable, more responsible. You don't get to just be like, well everyone gets to be mad, so I get to be mad. No, you because of the damage that you can do, you're held to a different standard. And that's the superhero motto for me. That's the whole literally like if you could put that on a bulletin board, that's what it is is that w- with great power, <laughs> yeah, comes right. great responsibility and great bills because Luke Cage for the majority of this is laying on a couch. Um <laughs> but
1: being a superhero does not pay the bills especially when you are a vigilante superhero
0: exactly i think that was a good a good spoiler free mm-hmm. uh review i would recommend it um if I, I i don't even think like i was i was just going to say now that you know try to be patient with it but i don't really think it, it it suffers from the same netflix drag uh that the other shows did and when it does i feel like the threads that are still intact are still very palatable to keep you keep you around it and not every episode is going to be wall to wall action no um even though they try to to (laughs) do that at some points to kind of an exhausting level if you're like us where we're (laughs) we're binging it you know it's like an episode will end with a fight and then start in the next episode with a fight and then there's a fight in the middle um and i thought that i thought you know, that that can get kind of exhaustive, but it was just them keeping the ball in the air, and I, I kind of have to be grateful for, for yeah, that. Yeah, I, f-
1: I felt like everyone everyone had an interesting story in this. Everyone that you already know has a very interesting story and be- rebuild from the first season in Luke Cage from his Defenders run. Uh, and even the new characters, for the most part, as they start to build them into the thread of the entire show, start to really show their place in that world. Yeah, uh, a lot of people really stepped it up as far as creating a spot for them where they can build off of and create new stories. Right, which is always the most important thing when you put these new people in.
0: And it's also interesting because you find out oftentimes that um, while writing and 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 uh, create crafting your shows can be a uh, very you know um, pain by numbers connect the dots kind of situation. Organically, sometimes um, some of these characters end up impressing um you know management so much or the writers directors and stuff that they end up getting a much bigger role. Like yes. you, you hear the story already about like Felicity on Arrow where she's not she's barely a, a comic book character, but right. because of supposedly her effect on Steven Mell and how he acts with her their chemistry, she was kept on and, and uh, her role expanded so much. In this, you know, you could point to people like Shades. You know, or um, Misty was always going to be a a center point, but she she holds almost half the show on her shoulders in this this series. Um, And I wonder if that was always the plan or if that was a, wow, you know, I almost feel bad not giving this person more to sink their teeth into because they're bringing so much to the little I've given them that if I give them the whole thing, they might be even, you know, to do even more.
1: One of the marks of a good creator is just knowing that, oh, this thing is working, let's run with it instead of sticking to whatever the established plan was from the beginning. Yeah. And, and just knowing to constantly work with the flow of things. Um, Misty Knight does a whole lot in this show as far as uh, a character development and someone to really get behind. Yeah. Um, I felt like th- this entire show, I was just like, Misty needs her W. She oh, has yeah. not had one for yeah. a while.
0: <laughs> oh, man. You know, th- yeah, let's get into some plot details. So we're going to, if you have not seen the show or you haven't finished, continue because everything else going forward is going to be extremely super spoiler filled uh, because it's time to dive into the madness that was this season. That was season two. But before we do that, let's um. Just a little bit of notes for season one to give us a little backstory on this. Um, I read an interview with uh, Cheo Hadari Coker, say that five times fast, the uh, uh, writer for Luke Cage.
1: It's like a called Quest. You have to say the whole thing.
0: (laughs) Yes. And the thing is, one of the big clouds, storm clouds, over season one, and this is something we spoke a little bit about off air, is um, the the death of Cottonmouth and the introduction of Diamondback. In in season one. Um, Mr. Coker, I hope I'm saying that right. (laughs) It just sounds bad, doesn't it? It sounds like like, like I'm accusing him of something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Cheo uh, says that his plan was always for Cottonmouth to die. Mm -hmm. So in that, I believe it was also a 13-episode stretch. Yes. Um, Halfway through Cottonmouth dies, and then we see the rise of Mariah and Shade seemingly in this criminal uh, underground. Yes. Um, the actor that, uh, ended up playing Diamondback came to audition for Cottonmouth. Mm. And so when he auditioned for Cottonmouth, they thought he was so good as Cottonmouth that they decided to implement Diamondback, who was never in the story.
1: Oh, he was never the plan. No.
0: So they decided to write Diamondback in, Mm. right? So... Because like, this guy's amazing. This thing we were talking about, this organic kind of like uh, just seeing the, the writing that's on the wall. Like, yes. wow, look at how uh, enigmatic he is. I thought he was kind of arch, like very like mustache twirly. <laughs> like the way he would talk, like the wrath of God is going to. Yeah, like, he, huh. he was
1: very comical. Um, to a degree, I guess you could attribute that to the fact that they're both like the son of a preacher. And he yes. took to that All charisma the way. completely.
0: Right. And I I would also lean on the fact that I think season one, way more than season two, was almost if not a parody, a love letter to black exploitation films where the where the villain would be more yes. like shown up somebody, yeah. like be more um, yes. flamboyant and, and talk
1: Just just over the top.
0: Over the top and stuff. So
1: jump right over that wall.
0: So you see so I think when he started to talk that that way, people I think Cheer was like, Oh, we can so just you know, the music and all that lean into that seventies vibe, right? Mm-hmm. So then it becomes, well, if this guy can't be cotton mouth, we still have to get a cotton mouth because we wrote cotton mouth in. Yes. And then you get the the amazing um Marshall, Marshall Ali? Uh
1: Mashallah Ali I believe.
0: Yes. You get him and they he wasn't supposed to do as good as he did.
1: No. <laughs> so then so
0: then so now they get another another issue. We just keep now, casting great actors. Yeah, what is our problem? Exactly. Because now this this guy who was supposed to be a footnote on this on this story, it was supposed to be about Mariah and then ultimately about Diamondback. Yes, becomes the most popular villain on the show, um, which then creates a rift because by comparison, Diamondback, who was supposed to be now, wow, you know this guy blew it out of the water. He's going to be the the real big bad. Yeah, people are like, that's what it was, and uh, what a what a weird. A series of events. What a weird uh, series of reactions that end up ultimately tying the hands of the of the writer of this show. Absolutely. Because
1: it's, it's like Daniel Day-Lewis showing up in Gangs of New York and just completely overshadowing Leonardo DiCaprio who's supposed like, to be your big star.
0: Exactly. And you're like, well, what, what do we <laughs> do here now? What was your um, opinion about Diamondback and Cottonmouth in, in Season 1?
1: I'll say this. As much as I will on the record say that I don't see Cottonmouth as great as a lot of other people do like a lot of people saw Cottonmouth as like the bar setter for that entire show and went into the season two with that yeah um he was certainly a lot more interesting than diamondback was right. i think at that point mashara ali had portrayed Cottonmouth in such an interesting and entertaining way that once you got to the really cartoony over the top diamond back, it's like the show went a completely different direction. Right.
0: They almost they almost super grounded Cottonmouth. Mouth. Yes. With absolutely with, you know they gave him actual trauma. They gave mm-hmm. him actual almost PTSD. At one point his hands are shaken after, you know, um committing some violent acts. Yeah. Uh, you show you saw but that he's he was also got unhinged. like
1: this he's also got this really grounded like um, artistic Beautiful side to him When he's, he's just He's just sh- right. chilling him out Playing his piano And it's really good With all those women Remember that Yeah <laughs> that, that was a
0: cool scene <laughs> Absolutely Meanwhile Diamondback Almost never seems To tone down no. Like even in a conversation At a restaurant He'd be like I want them The best bacon You done ever yes. had <laughs> it's like,
1: Diamondback just walks Into the room Just like Ah yes uh, The
0: lord's bacon <laughs> I, I want You know We don't eat pork Around here I And feel then like just kills go
1: a man In front of everyone for With, for, with a
0: Judas bullet You know um, For kicks so, with, with that being said, it's weird that Diamondback was never meant to uh, be as big of a deal as he was, and that they were always going to write him off.
1: mean Cottonmouth.
0: I mean Cottonmouth. And uh, then Diamondback kind of peters out towards the end of that, and supposedly, yeah. that's the reason, the thinly veiled reason why he didn't show up in this season.
1: Uh yes. Even one reason. They set him up, one reason,
0: yeah. One reason that was given was you don't follow immediately in the sequel what, what was left. It, that was one of the reasons he gave. But the other reason he gave was, kind of, sort of, paraphrasing, y'all yeah, didn't really like him. So, <laughs> 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 y'all yeah, yeah, didn't like him as much as y'all was supposed to like him. Y'all yeah, digged Ali too much as caught him out. Uh So, we just, we just we turned left. And whenever we feel like turning right again, we'll turn right again. But
1: Clearly, we cast it too far off and we got him too talented. <laughs>
0: but that, but what a crazy development! So, um, that was the last that we left off. We found out in Defenders that Mariah was Mariah and Shades are out, mm-hmm. um, and that Luke Cage is gonna have to go back to you know back to business. But this is the first um, stories of Luke Cage after the Midland Circle explosion in Defenders. Yes, Matt Murdock is seemingly martyred. <laughs> the <laughs> as other as incident, Lattie. yes. <laughs> uh, Matt Murdock is seemingly uh, martyred as a as a result. We got um. Luke Cage uh, back in Harlem with Claire, mm-hmm. right? Uh, with Claire Temple. How do you – did you – do you buy that relationship? I kind of still want Luke and Jessica, and I know we're going to get it. I yeah. know we're going to get it. Yeah. You, you know what it is? It's the books. I guess so. It's the books. There's, there's a point in the series where Claire is having the conversation with Luke that Jessica has at one point, which is like – what do you mean you're not going to get paid for this? Like, cops get paid for this, firefighters get paid for this. Right. We got bills. Like, if we ever want to get off my mom's couch, you know, like, if we ever want to get out of here, right. we're going to need to get paid. And it's like, you know, Jessica needs to um, have those kind of conversations with him. But she's all screwed up, too. You know, we covered she season is. two here on Major Issues. So go back if you've seen Jessica Jones, because we have an episode covering season two. And very similarly, um She's trying to find out who she is without the superpowers or without being a superhero. And in this, he's trying to find out who his identity is as a superhero, as the the hero of Harlem. As we, as we yes,
1: um, in this, as far as those two, I think even though it does, it is the relationship that exists in the comic books. Mm-hmm. I personally do not think that Luke Cage and Jessica Jones have that on-screen chemistry with each other.
0: Right, I and they were almost written they- off as a, as a fling.
1: Uh yes yes uh that happened right in the beginning it was really one of the most awkward oh, scenes I've ever and now, seen and
0: now in the first episode in every first episode that he appears in in Defenders yes making love in Luke Cage season one first episode <laughs> making love Luke Cage season two first episode making love and the first time she's seen in Jessica Jones making love yes this is his thing now Luke Cage will be making coffee every time that you see him he is the best barista oh in they heart. made
1: a point to st- they made a point to throw in a really awkward coffee joke this season all
0: kinds of all kinds of coffee jokes left and right it was hilarious. But, um, did you, so do you buy, do you buy him and Claire more?
1: I do. Yes. I think they're just, they're just a warmer, uh, a warmer couple. I think their chemistry bounces off each other really well. She's a lot more. This is the thing about their attitudes. She's a lot more toned down than he is. Yeah. You know, while he has a softer voice, he's still kind of booming in the way he expresses himself and she is, she's able to bring him in. Whereas I, him and Jessica would just be right rams against each other
0: i will, you know what you that's a good point i actually think that uh, jessica may not have the patience that no. it would require to deal with someone like luke cage because you see in the beginning of these episodes could you
1: imagine that fight good lord
0: <laughs> as cage is trying to come up with this identity to, of being a superhero Claire's starting to realize that um the things are changing about about luke as the business as the the job would would do as you hear for, about with cops right who start off um with an idealistic version of how this job is going to go and yes. how they were going to police this, the city. And some of those uh, people end up becoming jaded and it turns the entire experience, um, you know, kind of sour. And so she's starting to see that in Luke, where Luke, um, as she puts it, is not only stomping cockroaches out, but is enjoying the stomping. How do you feel about that that um, character arc or progression of Luke's wrath and the fact that he... Um, doesn't doesn't I wouldn't say doesn't have control over it, but doesn't really want control over. It. He doesn't seem at war with himself more than than um fed up with people and situations that he feels are never going to be uh, redeemed or or um, have any sort of redeeming qualities. Like some certain people, like like he says with Mariah or something like that. He feels just need to be handled, and you know it was that surprising coming from a hero coming out of the mouth of a hero where he says, and you know many times like brutality is what gets things what gets things done you know like uh
1: I think it fits him because that's the environment he comes from, okay Um makes sense I think you know when you grow up in that area like we're we're both New York City guys. You, you grew up in an area understanding that aggression is kind of what works. Yeah. And for someone like Luke who just wants to see the job get done, it's it's a fight that doesn't really end because it, it, they will always pop up somewhere. Right. You get rid of one scumbag, another one fills that power vacuum and they'll keep popping up. There's going to be drug runners everywhere. There's going to be kids. There's going to be people causing trouble. It It is the frustration of the job never ends, right? And he makes the cardinal superhero mistake of trying to be Luke Cage all the time. Yeah, which never works.
0: And they go into you know him and Bobby Fish. Bobby returns. I actually love that character. He is—he's <laughs> so funny, wise, um, slick with Claire and stuff like that. I really dig um his um demeanor. And he tells Luke like how you how are you supposed to be Luke Cage half the time and Carl Lucas half the time, uh. All the time, (laughs) which is true. You can't be half of two people at, you know, at all times. And Luke is stretched incredibly thin in this to the point that um, I think one of the most clever parts of this show is the um, scene or story arc where Luke's heroism is used against him. Mm -hmm. It's used in a point of like, I know you're going to save me because that's what you do. And you're going to I can I can clock that I, I you you know this bus is never late yeah. when danger arrives you arrive and you're just gonna save me i can play you like a fiddle because of that and that's such a disheartening um series of scenes or or you know of a, a story arc because it does show how quote unquote predictable you know um superheroes are and how we see you know we often see like the super villain plotting and and getting these elaborate Mm -hmm. schemes and we go, well, how could you, you know, you, certain things would have to happen at every course for this to perfectly go on, but are heroes that predictable? Is the idea of, like, well, I can just lay out the bait and they're just going to show up. Like, I thought that was kind of, that was, that was it was very smart. I don't think, I don't remember a lot of the medium going to that. Mm -hmm. Um, You Sometimes you have it in Spider-Man, right? Like, you got to say both of these and they're going to (laughs) show up and do it. Um, But, (laughs)
1: Cheers. <laughs> yes, but
0: in this, it's like it—it it, it breaks his heart because you remember in season one how often he would say he doesn't want to be a hero. Yeah, and not only is he a hero now, but he's almost forced to be at every turn because he refuses to deal. He refuses to live in a world and turn a blind eye to what's going on in his community in, right. in Harlem.
1: The hard—the hardest part about it for Luke Cage, which is different than pretty much almost every hero you know about because they're so largely scaled is that everyone knows him right so like you can't walk down the street anymore without someone coming to you with their problem or someone asking you why this hasn't been handled yet so there's almost no reprieve from it as well exactly It it is the difficulty that comes with the hero or, or rather the heroic journey that it has rules yeah in its own way you know yeah. and that's where that's the the difficulty of combating villainy Um, actually, now that I say it, you see that on two ends, the difficulty of being a hero and combating villains and the difficulty with being a officer of the law and combating criminals, which is one side has rules and the other side has none. So they can do whatever the heck they want and you have to abide by these rules. And then there's the entire turnaround between the, um, the officers and Luke Cage, where they want Luke to abide by their rules, right?
0: And Misty, Misty goes through that in this. You know, she lost her arm in the Defenders um, against a hand, and she deals with it, what what it means to be handicapped at her job, but in more ways than one. Um, also handicapped, also having an arm tied behind her back because of these rules, because of these laws, mm-hmm. and um, they they make they do it a, a job of making. Being a police officer seemed incredibly frustrating um, and you're um, incredibly thankless. She goes uh, so far as to say that she has an incredibly thankless job. Yes. And um, it's funny how you say that idea of, you know, the rules versus the no rules, the vigilante versus the law. Because while at various points, Misty sees that barrier that she can't cross mm-hmm. to that that seemingly she has to to get to those very elusive criminals mm-hmm. the way that criminals are constantly using loopholes and uh the gr- being the snakes in the grass being able to hide mm-hmm. you know in plain sight uh angers her to the point that she wants to use the same criminal tactics to stop these criminals uh something that luke cage um that is offered to him the idea that well why don't you be as brutal as they are why don't you fight fire with fire and, um, Misty's, Misty's, um, that barrier for her is almost what keeps her on that side of the fence. Yes. Where we, I think Luke is seduced by fire with fire. Yes. Yeah. To the point that by the end, he's almost unrecognizable. And... It almost goes to show, and we hear it all the time, right? Like the, the difference between the vigilante and this and all this other kind of stuff. But it really shows for the first time in plain sight what, what those rules are meant to do. And while they might handicap the hero, like Batman's no-kill rule, right? Mm-hmm. You see it's like it handicaps the hero. It does keep them honest. It does keep them um, on the straight and narrow because if they are able to do whatever that they want, are they indistinguishable from the villains? And that's Don- a scary thought.
1: Completely. Especially since, like, for all intents and purposes, they are already indistinguish- indistinguishable from the criminals on paper. Yeah. You know, because they are not licensed card-carrying officers by any means. Yeah. You know, they are out there. Um, Batman is assaulting people on a regular basis. Oh, we see it with
0: Cockroach. You know, Cockroach is um, yes. one of the people in this show that uh um was trying to bid for mariah's guns mariah trying to get clean and so uh, she's selling all her hammer tech i wonder how hammer feels about all this he's all locked up with uh trevor uh, b- <laughs> but she's trying to sell her guns and cockroach is one of the low-level guys that is trying to buy her out or at least buy the guns out and he beats on his wife or his girl and he beats on her son
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um his son and Luke doesn't take too kindly to that. And we've all been there. We've all known somebody who's been a victim of domestic abuse, uh, unfortunately. Yes. Uh, or, uh, you know, witnessed it ourselves. And so we know the anger that comes with that. And that's the an anger that Luke Cage gives into. And on paper, he goes into a man's house. Yes. And beats him damn near to death. Yes. That's That's just on paper. Yes. Whether he was um, justified in doing so, that's for a court of law to decide. Right. But like you said again, undistinguishable. He broke several laws to get in mm-hmm. there and then do what he wanted to do, but it,
1: seemingly on the righteous path. Right, but it also
0: <laughs> but it also goes to make it transparent that if he didn't, mm-hmm. worse probably could have happened. So it makes you as a viewer sit there in that uncomfortable position of saying, at what point is breaking the law okay if you stop people from breaking the law? Right. <laughs> Which I think is, is an incredibly um it's
1: it, it's it's a huge point in the show where he has to make that decision to do uh the incorrect thing to do the right thing. Right. In the big picture, instead of just sort of sitting back and then now you had to deal with the guilt of not doing what was the right thing the wrong way.
0: Or and also um enough of the right thing, right? Yeah. Like seeing these things to its end where like, oh, I'm gonna lock up this person. Because they killed a bunch of people or sold a bunch of drugs and now they're off the streets versus I'm going to kill this person, make a permanent end here in Harlem. And, you know, like those those decisions are, you know, um, big ones at various points in this. Luke Cage says, like, had I just stopped Mariah or had I just let her be killed or killed her myself, then none of this would be here. And it's a rough um, battle to deal with internally because, I mean, are you is that going to be the new M.O.? As yeah. soon as you start seeing a little fire, are you going to put them out with deadly force? And right. if you do that, again, like Claire said, do you become the exterminator? Is it, do you get to pick and choose which roaches get to live and which ones don't? <laughs> and that's a scary thought. Um, at you know when you when you talk about wrath in general, and you heard uh, we get to see Reg E. Uh, Kathy as James Lucas, Luke's father, and he talks lot this series is book-ended by his speech about wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we're supposed to, um, if you're a Christian, give up the wrath that you have to God and let him sort uh, it out. Sort it out and get the vengeance on your enemies and all this other kind of stuff. Because if we give into it, it's it poisons us, it's toxic and all this other kind of stuff. And that's another uh layer to this. Season the uh, idea of vengeance as a rightful answer, as a, as a as um fair. Yes, and that comes manifested in uh, Mustafa Shakir as John McIver, aka Bushmaster. Bushmaster shows up uh, as a revenge-fueled villain who takes Nightshade. You know, it's a little, it takes a little Nightshade.
1: A little bit. It's
0: a it's a formal enhancement to increase his strength and durability. Um and he has literally across the burn with the, with <laughs> for mariah um and the entire series is about at what point um is vengeance justified, and we go through vengeance with him, we go through vengeance with um mariah mm-hmm. uh we go through vengeance with various people who seem scorned here, and mm-hmm. at what point. Do we actually see that whole uh perspective of an eye for an eye makes the entire world blind?
1: I I would say you see it with with Bushmaster in the end As Bushmaster sorts to take as much damage almost as he inflicts. Right. Um, in some cases self inflicted damage. Uh Bushmaster is a man with complete tunnel vision and how do you say very very strict tunnel vision. Yeah. He's got He almost g- got blinders
0: on. He can't oh, see anything else nothing besides else matters. this Mariah thing.
1: The, nothing else matters. The, the only thing that gets to him is that Usain Bolt comment.
0: Yeah, and you know when you think about it, he has so much tunnel vision that he spills blood of his own people oh, to yeah. get to get to where he has to go. Um even though he has this supposed respect and all this other kind of stuff. But we're given um eventually we just see a man incredibly skilled with hand-to-hand combat using capo mm-hmm. hera that sort of dance fighting yes. uh that style i believe that was popularized in brazil yes but um you know south america uh sort of um influence um he is the leader of the stylers which is the new brand of the yardies a former jamaican mm-hmm. gang in um brooklyn and we see him take a bunch of bullets the first time we see him and he just kind of shrugs them off. And then we are shown that he has been taking this sort of herbal uh, enhancement called Nightshade that is drug-like in the sense that the more he takes, the more it hurts him. But Mm -hmm. the amount of strength, speed, and durability that he gains from the Nightshade allows him to be almost equal to Luke Cage, which gave us some of our uh, most exciting uh, fight scenes. Because yes. in season one, he didn't fight Cottonmouth. He wasn't going to fight Cottonmouth. He would have killed him. Yeah. He didn't fight Mariah. And then when he fights um, Diamondback, it's in the last episode because he has a super suit. Mm-hmm. And they even go... Um, Bobby Fish goes out of his way to be like, Does the, did the guy who beat you up have a super suit? <laughs> like, yeah. oh no. So he's <laughs> just as fast as you So it it was cool to um have somebody that can go to the Toba cage. But also... Has such an entertaining fighting style that you just wanted to watch him and his body move. And uh, the first couple times that he tangles with Luke Cage, um, it's so obvious that he has planned for this that it it almost gives you a little bit, almost makes you, um, without you wanting to, give him a little bit of respect because Mm -hmm. it almost shows you how lax Luke has been with his level of training because... When you are super strong, you don't really have to know how. to... We argue this about Superman, right? Like, yeah. you don't really have to know how to fight. You could just grab somebody uh, by the scruff and throw them, as he does many a times it, in this show. It,
1: it, throughout the entire show, it's just like dudes just get little pats on the head, like knockout. Right, <laughs> it's hilarious to look at.
0: But Bushmaster, skilled, mm-hmm. you know, skilled and fearless. His he is so. They often say, right, that the 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 good the wrinkle to a good villain is that he needs to think that. What he's doing is completely justified, and there is nobody in the show that feels more justified in their actions, in their horrible, disgusting actions, than Bushmaster. Here.
1: Bushmaster is a raging fire of righteous vengeance in every way, and uh, and a compelling backstory to sort of match it. It digs real deep. Everything, everything seems to go back to uh, to the Mama Mabel. Right. Uh, how do you say
0: Quincy Stokes? I mean, Quincy, um, I McIver. Yes. Was the, uh, I yes. think
1: so. Quincy McIver and, uh, Buggy. Right. Yes. Buggy Stokes. Buggy Stokes. Yes. Buggy Stokes.
0: Yes. Just family drama dating back from the beginnings of, uh, trying to rebuild a Harlem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these series of families go out of their way. They create rum. They are able to buy Harlem's paradise. They all have, um, you know, steak and share and all this kind of stuff. And then, uh, out the miscommunication he say she say about how um, uh, Bushmaster's kin shoots uh, the kin of uh, Mariah Stokes yes. leading to this generational war yes uh, coming all the way down do you think while you while they definitely gave a sympathetic a sympathetic backstory to Bushmaster do you think it was enough to make it justify to make everything going forward justified
1: um, I don't think it makes the several <laughs> grisly murders right. throughout this show justified. But I think you get an understanding of this deep-seated hatred for that entire family. Right. Um. Do not call her Dillard. It uh, is Storks.
0: Mariah Stokes must burn <laughs> time. Every, every point. T- every, every single every time.
1: Point. He, she's never even angry about it. It's just like, uh, about Mariah Dillard. Stokes. Yeah,
0: they're like, what you want to do today? I um, may want to go to the park, and also, by the way, Mariah Stokes, Stokes must burn. burn. <laughs> at every point. no.
1: So it, good. they make an interesting parallel also, in its own way to their um, national backgrounds, too, where Stokes, the American, seemed to give in to the, to the white people who wanted to come in and take over their business, just like they took over their people. Right. Whereas the Jamaicans resisted.
0: And fought, and and that's fought them all. And he says that at a point, right? He says, that's where my entire culture mm-hmm. is based on. It's based yes. on resistance or based on was it fighting the back. or something? Yeah. Yes. Um,
1: the whites I, came and they resisted and they pushed them away.
0: Let's talk culture. Because I, I, one of the reasons why I really, really liked Bushmaster in this mm-hmm. show is that the, New York in general is a melting pot. But New York yes. City is yes. literally filled to the brim with every sort of race and culture. And not, none of them are hidden. No,
1: not they, at all.
0: They are out there. They're out in the forefront. There are full neighborhoods, you know, uh, saturated with all kinds of race and mm-hmm. culture. The music is playing out loud. The flags are out there. Yes. Um, depending on where you go, you can walk in a mile and, and experience basically the United We've Nations. We've
1: got several parades in a calendar year.
0: <laughs> and, and, and I thought it was incredibly um, accurate, the portrayal. Yes. Uh, the accents, all this stuff, the music. I mean, I grew up a child of the 90s in <laughs> New York, and the reggae Genuinely made me smile. It was uh, I had a Pavlovian response. <laughs> it, it felt like I was home, and so every story told then was a story told to me with the setting being home, my home. Yes, these train stations, Flatbush, mm-hmm. uh, Harlem. You know, you see these places. If I you're a New Yorker, places. the
1: entire thing is so familiar to you, and it's a it's a different response you get to it because it if it feel the the show feels like home, right? You know, it's it's not like. It's not like a movie that films in New York City and Canada because it's, it too costs less. exactly,
0: no, no, yeah, it
1: all feels like home
0: you're right, and I don't know if you get that twist if you haven't been here or not from here, I'm not you saying it anyway, yeah, I'm not saying in any way that you know you won't get the show if you're not from no. New York, but if you have been here or you or you know you are from here there there's definitely a love letter to Harlem to New York mm-hmm. to the melting pot nature of um, yes. Of New York, and also to the gritty past yes. of New York. Uh, the idea that so many families, races, cultures have constantly been mm-hmm. fighting for turf, power. I think power, Frank
1: Lucas comes up at one point.
0: All of that, you know, um, you, uh, the the Italian mob, the Irish mob, the mm-hmm. Chinese, the Koreans. How how much every race um, has sacrificed and um, the lengths that they've gone to not only obtain power but carve a piece of New York out for themselves, Mm -hmm. their culture and their people. And so in this
1: New York city is essentially battle world is what you're saying. Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) A hundred percent.
0: And what's also pretty crazy is that with both Luke and, um, and John McIver Bushmaster, we're given, we're given these, um, this dichotomy of, well, I'm, I'm only going to be looked at a certain way. Mm -hmm. So I might as well lean into that. Yes. And both of them are told by Claire and I believe Anansi, his um, uncle, Mm -hmm. are told like, that's not the way. (laughs) That's not like, while it is a viable option, if you do believe that everyone's going to just think of you like this, might as well lean into it. Like he says to um, his nephew, and there's so much love for Bushmaster by his family in this because they understand um, that this is a kid who has lost it all. He lost his family. He damn near got killed and shot in right. the gut for selling coconuts. Right. Um, and, you know, has been brought back to the dead. He's just a survivor. He just, you know, as long as, as he's able to live, they have love for him. But this wrath thing is taking over their family. It's taking over um, the good that they see in him. Mm-hmm. And same way in Luke, Luke yells at Claire, like, if everyone's going to be scared of me, I might as well be scary. Right. And,
1: you know. It's just easier.
0: And we've all felt that. We've yes. all felt that pull of just leaning into the stereotypes that have mm-hmm. been laid out before us because it is um, it is rough when you're trying to uh, blaze a new trail and you're being accused of just doing what everyone else does or yes. everyone in your race does or everyone mm-hmm. in your color does. or any- What you and- are
1: expected to be.
0: Exactly. And so when do you lean into that? And um, I, w- I want to say Luke kind of does at the end of this, whereas eventually... And I mean Bushmaster does too because like you said he ends up taking eventually enough nightshade that deteriorates his mind where he's having like memory issues and he's yes. he needs to be held up to walk mm-hmm. um what is the price of vengeance and there you kind of see to him how big this this uh rivalry was
1: in in Bushmaster's case um the price of vengeance is losing who you are completely, which with the memory issues and, and and losing everything that he may have been before this is pretty much what it's going to cost him. Um, at the end, it looks like it very, very well cost Luke Cage who he was.
0: Right. It's funny because like we were saying, there is definitely a cost to this vengeance thing. And seemingly what you are doing these things for is for, uh, even playing field, mm-hmm. right? But the eye for the, eye, the eye for an eye um, sentiment comes in because at one point does vengeance stop? Right. In this, we see act upon act of vengeance compound. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, a Bushmaster cutting off heads. We have Mariah setting people ablaze on fire. Yes. We have, you know, people getting kidnapped and, and all kinds of weird chess moves being made ultimately to show that there's never going to be a last act of vengeance. There, never. This will constantly be a war um, where both sides are trying to get the last laugh.
1: And and that vengeance appears to build vengeance upon others. Right. You know, um, the, the vengeful acts of... Um, the acts of Buggy Stokes built the vengeance of Bushmaster. The actions of the criminal community built Luke Cage. Right. And the vengeance that uh, Mariah <clears throat> has wrought out of her daughter comes out in her. Exactly. Everyone uses vengeance to wrong somebody and then thus creates a new enemy.
0: Exactly. Who, who is then fueled by that same fiery vengeance mm-hmm. to enact back on And then uh, it's just, them. it
1: just burns everyone.
0: But you mentioned there, let's talk about the new member of the family, Tilda Dillard.
1: Yes. Is that her name? Uh, Tilda, Tilda Dillard or Tilda Johnson. Oh Yes, or Tilda
0: Johnson <laughs> or Tilda Stokes, depending on how you want to think about this. But she is brought in as the estranged daughter of Mariah Dillard. Yes. Uh, Mariah. Initially, we're just showing that Mariah is trying to use her for political gain mm-hmm. to say, oh, you know, I reunited with my daughter. Things are good. Look at me. I'm a good politician. Everyone loves a reunion story. Yeah, exactly. And everyone loves family. So um, her thing was always family first, always Mariah. And she goes out of her way to reconnect with this daughter. Um, but... The twists are all over the place. First, we find out that the daughter has... It has a medical background, but has chosen to open up a kind of herbal remedies uh, holistic shop. Medicine. Holistic medicine. Holistic uh, You know, selling all kinds of herbs and roots. And eventually ends up being one of the suppliers for Bushmaster of this nightshade. But then it's explained that um, Mariah had a very tenuous relationship with her, her own child. Keeping her at a distance at all points. And it's accused of Mariah that is a color issue.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and Mariah says, oh, no, 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 it's nothing about color. Don't worry about that. It's because uh, you're sort of your uncle's daughter. <laughs> it is revealed, I mean, it was hinted on in season one that Mariah Stokes was sexually abused by her uncle, mm-hmm. uh, Pete, um, who was then shot by uh, Cornell.
1: I believe so. In season yes, one. Yes.
0: in that With that gun that plays a big role in this mm-hmm. uh, story. But...
1: Amazing to keep a gun that old working that long. Yeah,
0: you know? Like I said, they're doing some good maintenance on that thing. Yeah, But
1: you find out that
0: Uncle Pete seemingly impregnated his niece Mm -hmm. before he died. Um, And Mabel said no abortion. So, uh, Mariah ends up giving birth to her uncle's child, her and her uncle's child. And then they basically give that child up for adoption. And she keeps keeps like a short, I mean, she keeps an arm's length distance from her daughter. Catching up to her, but she admits many times in our, in heartbreaking dialogue that she could never love her.
2: Mm-hmm. Tried,
0: can't, sorry. Yes, and and that's kind of almost the delivery she gives. Like, I tried. Yeah, and I just can't.
1: She she once she got to that, she was real sincere. Just like, ah, uh, look, I gave this a real good thought and keep seeing my abuser.
0: There is something very real about that, though. About, oh yes, absolutely. About, about that level, and she says like in, almost in her last monologue that um, when you are raped or sexually assaulted, that a part of you dies. And mm-hmm. I can believe that. I can believe being held against your will and, and having these uh, these t- terrible acts laid upon you without you having any sort of escape. Um, it has to have a traumatic effect on you. And um, I've known people to that make that, that claim of, like, I just I c- couldn't love you. I, as a, as a, as a, I didn't know how. And
1: essentially you could argue that Tilda Dillard is the piece of her that she lost, and she just cannot get that back.
0: Right. And almost if she could, but I I can't even say, like, it's one of those, like, situations where I don't even know what I would do in that situation. Like, I can't say, oh, you you should have just um, loved her, and then once you had your family unit, Everything would have been different. You wouldn't have went down this path. But I, it's hard to just say, "Oh yeah, well, just forget about the horrible, horrible." No, horrible certainly. On on paper, on, pap- on
1: paper, it makes sense to say, like, "Well, still, it's a child, and you should nurture it." But you you cannot measure what trauma does to the human mind at that point, and how you will see what is essentially the fruit of this abusive um, relationship. It's it's a really difficult thing to actually manifest without being there.
0: Exactly. And trauma is the name of the game, especially when it comes to Mariah and Bushmaster with their history. But Mariah from almost the jump is heavily drinking and making these crazy <laughs> impulsive decisions. She she's unhinged in this and, mm-hmm. and unraveling. Um she's still trying to be that face and there's still um glimpses and um sparks of that politician in her. Yes. But ultimately it's almost always undercut with this Gangster, literally, like um, Frank Lucas-esque mantra of, like, we're gonna take care of us and our family mm-hmm. uh, by any means necessary.
1: Family first.
0: And so, these, this thirst for, um, this thirst to rise above her family name and where it came from, ultimately, again, is that argument that we make of how much bad does it take to do good? How much? How much does she have to do in the name of crime to eventually erase her family's history of crime? (laughs) And I don't think that there is any right amount of evil to do to get rid of the evil. I think you see that with her. Um, And at many points, she does seem heartfelt when she says that she's tried to do good and her past has brought her down. Yes. But at what point do you think, do you start to believe that she's always had this kind of person in her?
1: Um... I think that the I think that the the cold-hearted criminal side of Mariah Dillard is something that you she was just raised on. You know, the, the first season really pushes into you that um Mama Mabel made sure that she understood what the price of anything is in this world and what you have to do to get things your way. Yeah. Um,
0: and that, and that the world is unfairly against you already yes. because of your race, already because of your, mm-hmm. your 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 class and where you live. Yes. Uh, no one will ever give you the opportunities that you deserve because you deserve them, um, but mostly because of what you know, how you look. And Mabel instilled that in both her children, who have this disdain
2: mm-hmm. towards
0: white or any other kind of race, really. Yes. They want to make Harlem black again, and they believe that they have been slighted, and because of that, again, you still have this level of vengeance where Mm -hmm. I have to strike out against every other race because my race um, is held back in the eyes of them, Mm -hmm. and so I don't want to play ball with them. They even have that weird dialogue with Cockroach, right, where he's like, "Uh, we're not going to do... I'm not the cigar-smoking black. I'm not the, you (laughs) know, ganja smoking black. Let's make... And it even goes to show you how race is um dissected even at that level of mm-hmm. black on black. Yes. Um uh Claire even says in her that she's experienced um racism in her household. You so, know yeah, for Cabana. Exactly. And being Hispanic myself, I can say that there's this weird self-hatred of of Spanish people or Latinos that look light skinned versus that look mm-hmm. dark skinned. And it's this weird sort of um uh subcategory that we do where we and you see it in the show where people are constantly in their own minds trying to come up with logic as to why they're better, deserve more, and deserve to be at, at the top.
1: Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of division between their own sub-communities, and it, it creates little rifts in everyone. Um, all of it, to me, ends up making – look, sh- makes, it makes Shade's character – stand out a lot because he looks nothing like anyone else on the cast at that point. Yeah, that's true. Shades is just this light-skinned Hispanic man who just kind of stands off to the side, speaks very slowly, very eloquently, and very simply. Yeah. It, he is a standout character in the sense that you never exactly know where he's coming from or even what he's... You never get a sense of where Shades stands in any of this. Right. He doesn't have a dog in any of these races, it seems. He doesn't have this this bigger ideology. Shades is out for Shades.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and through season one all the way to season two, one thing that's always rang true about Shades is he has the gangster's instinct, mm-hmm. right? You've seen it at various points. Uh, you know, the exclamation point comes up over his head like in Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> and he's like, no, you know, I may not understand you know, the business or logistics of this, but the facts that I heard don't sound right. Yeah. And you should just do this or you should just do that. At various points, and even right before, you know, I think she dies, he tells her, like, you could have just sold the painting. I've been telling you since episode one. You could have
1: just sold that goddamn just painting. Sell the,
0: just sell the painting. Why do you think the painting meant so much to Mariah?
1: I think it was something that had, I think it was piece of her family. It it may have been a piece of Cornell for her right. that she was still holding on to. That makes sense. Um I think if she sold the painting she felt like she had completely sold out.
0: I, I agree. I agree with that. I would go so far as to say that the painting um represents a level of prestige that the mm-hmm. Stokes had, regardless of how they uh got that prestige. Uh it, it, it represents a level of importance and prestige in the neighborhood. Because um, that thing's a million-dollar painting, and the yes. fact that you have it, it's a status symbol. Right. Um, And I feel like, you know, there's an old saying that to, um, to those with privilege, uh, equality is a punishment. Yeah. And so for her, she, the Stokes have always been this high-prestige, you know, or at least highly regarded family in Harlem. She could not lower herself mm-hmm. to be with any—and at various points— she almost delusionally states, like, I am Harlem. Harlem loves me. Harlem would never turn on me. Like right. I have Harlem's best interest at heart. If, and without if, if me. If you put
1: one juror from Harlem on that bench, I will I'm gonna make it out. She tells the judge, <laughs> Oh, just let
0: me go, because without me, Harlem is gonna tear itself apart. Mm-hmm. Like what a cocky, like so delusional, so out of her head with this.
1: Intersped with clips of Harlem tearing itself uh, apart. Right.
0: But through, through the midst of that, we're given also some very traumatic details about Mariah. Like I said, we, she's already, we already found out she was sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. We find out that she was constantly um, teased with Black Mariah, the name Black Mariah, yes. because of her skin color. Um, and that's something that harkens back to season one, where she's called that and does not like it one bit. Not one bit. Um, So she is given this sort of traumatic backstory, and at various points, she does give sad details on her life I'm just wondering how much of it we're supposed to believe like at at one point well, how do you feel about this weird I feel like it was a focal point of this series that they gave and wrote this sort of Joker Batman relationship between uh, Mariah and Luke this whole weird synergy of like you're always going to be there and I'm always going to be here and these are the sides we're always going to play and I make you better and all this other this, <laughs> there was this very distinct I felt um, delusion right. on Mariah's half where she says, like, and, and they even go with the whole, we made each other, we created each other, mm-hmm. you know, and because we created each other, we're tied to each other and we're responsible for what each other does. How do you feel about that that uh, twist and almost that level of delusion where she almost tries to kiss him at one point and it's like, you're always going to save me. You're always going to be my big black Boy Scout.
1: I, I think towards the end there, and this is how I felt from the beginning of the season, I think Mariah has started to use, I guess you could say, seduction as a weapon to a degree. Yes. I start to feel like she was doing it with Chase the entire time. Right. Um. Although, to be honest, I felt like they were using it against each other, and Definitely. I never really thought that there was any genuine thing there. Um. Towards the end, she has gotten away with so much that I, I think she is untouchable in her own mind. Right. She's going to make it... This is just a prison. I've made it out of far worse. I was set. To, I was left to burn in my own home. Right.
0: No. No. Definitely.
1: <laughs> and, and you came to save me.
0: And and she survived everything that Cottonmouth couldn't. You mm-hmm. know, survived everything that Domingo couldn't. Other gang lords were in this. In mm-hmm. this to to be in this. And at various points, because of this delusion, like I say, she refuses to acknowledge that she is turning into a gangster, into like a street. Yes. You know, a, a street smart um, mobster. Yes. Even but regards Shades as, what did she say? A, like, a like a, just a street-level... Like, she um, hand-waves him away as, like, this this low-level gangster thug. Yeah. And just yet she pusher. was so seduced by the quick means of that lifestyle. A lifestyle that Cornell seemed to be fully in without any kind of, a, you know, a shame. Mm-hmm. She, you know, remember the beginnings of that. Like, we can watch episode one of season one and see her be like... You know, I don't want to deal with all that. Just tell me yeah. when the money's coming in. I don't want to deal with the, the nitty and the gritty. Mm-hmm. But then it gets to a point where, you know, she's all in that. She's bringing people to the club to for these meetings, these undercover meetings, and it's what gets her busted. Is these these outlandish displays of of power, where, like you said, she feels untouchable.
1: Yeah, she, she and she sort of does the same thing. Cornell does in season one that um, shades notes, having seen both towards the end just starts making decisions to get rid of the problem. Right. You know, Cornell completely unravels before his own demise and does whatever he has to do to eliminate Luke Cage. Um, Mariah starts to do whatever she has to do to eliminate Bushmaster. Um, Interestingly enough, by the end of this, it's like, yeah, there's a fight between Luke Cage and Bushmaster and Luke Cage is trying to stop Bushmaster, but really, Mm -hmm. The battle is between Bushmaster and Mariah Dillard, yeah. and Luke Cage is just trying to keep Harlem afloat. It almost throughout reminds, the entire thing.
0: It reminds me a little bit, very little bit, of because I and I love how these Netflix shows are borrowing from each other. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, you have a little bit of Jessica Jones with the father relationship and trying to, um, say you know at what point is what how my parent hurt me, not the excuse for how I live my life. So you get that from Jessica. But from Daredevil, you get almost a season one of, the, I mean, season two Punisher arc, right? Where mm-hmm. this unstoppable force is trying to get redemption mm-hmm. from something that was a horrible act that was committed on them. Mm-hmm. And although I sympathize with them, the right thing to do is to stop them. Mm-hmm. Regardless if they're killing horrible, the scum of the earth. Right. I I have to make my stance that, you know, vengeance isn't, isn't the rightful answer to all this. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was pretty cool because they, you even get the the same sort of team-up where it's like, we're going to go out there. You know, it's, 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 it's Frank and Matt. It's Bucky and Cap. <laughs> right. it's, we're going to go out there. Don't kill anyone. alright <laughs> We're going to go out there. I'm telling everybody you're not a killer. Right. So don't kill anyone. I, I told you not to kill anyone. <laughs> you get the same at, sort of... Luke
1: at two points in the show sides at both of them on some way.
0: Yes, and protects both of them. Yeah. Protects and defends Luke both of them. comes in
1: and saves Mariah... Um, Luke comes in and saves Piranha who has wronged all of them. Yes. Luke yep. comes in and starts to work with Bushmaster. It's like just don't kill anyone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh and you know works with information that is given to him by Shades. Yes. Works with Misty Knight. He literally he literally is able to see the logic in everybody's motivation um because they are all supposedly doing what's best for Harlem. And um
1: which really which really leads to the big decision at the end where it's just like what i have to do to stop all of this
0: right luke cage ultimately decides to become harlem's quality control yes. he decides that if all of these the things are going to exist yeah if if all these things are going to exist gangs illegal money drugs guns and i can't stop it all I at least can control it. I can at least manage it to a level where the bloodshed is minimal, where the casualties are minimal, and where majority of the world gets to continue living their lives. And so ultimately, um, the ultimate act of vengeance is uh, is cast down upon Mariah when her daughter... Uh, puts, I believe, the kiss of the spider is. Was that the name um, of it?
1: I, I I wasn't sure what the Spanish was. The
0: oh. uh, araña is definitely a spider. I oh, just okay, couldn't, yeah. I didn't then know yet, if it besos
1: was. De Aranya, something yes, like that. kiss of
0: the spider. Um, uh, potent poison on her lips, um, and gives her mother a kiss Tilda, and it basically kills her. The poison uh, kills Mariah, who is held by Luke Cage in her in her last moments. But um,
1: did you think it when it happened?
0: I when she was making it, I, I didn't know what it was. And then when I read the spider thing, it felt like a poison, but I didn't know how she was going to administer the poison.
1: When she kissed her, I was just like... And when she mm. kissed her,
0: and not only kissed her, but kissed her on the mouth. Uh-huh. That was very particular. Yes. And I was like, I didn't know, I also didn't know how how quickly the effects would would work, you know? <laughs> like, I didn't know if as soon as the door would close, it she was would very start. It was Game of Thrones. Yes. Um. And, Tilda, dealing with the same battle that her mother deals with, mm-hmm. where I can't believe I'm born into such, you know, um, ill-gotten means and, and, and a history of crime and violence. And instead of leaning into it, decides to cut that tie mm-hmm. right where it's at. Yes. You know, instead of trying to prune this violent and murderous flower of her family, she just cuts it off. Um, well,
1: what 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 was the line um, earlier? I think with shades is how do you stop a water?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, you put you, your you hand, put on your hand right on
1: the faucet, right? Yeah.
0: And did you notice? I, I could be wrong with this, but sh- did she add words to that Cornell song? I felt like Cornell was playing that song in his. When, oh, in his I see. I have to go
1: back and check that
0: because those words were very specific to what just happened, which oh, was yeah. like. Mama, to continue leaving my life, this has to end. And the thing, the act that I just committed, is going to be worth it in the end because it will have freed me from from this these family ties. That, that
1: was righteous vengeance.
0: Yes, that song was on the point uh, on point, and will, uh, the song that they were playing in Harlem's Paradise when mm-hmm. Luke Cage was the, the the owner, because he he eventually gets Harlem's Paradise through the will of Mariah Dillard because she knows that he's going to gonna the, be seduced to
1: the by it. Visible chagrin of Tilda. Ch-
0: yeah um, he know yeah, the daughter thought she was going to get it. I guess that's one of the reasons that after up killing her, he's like, at least at worst comes to worst, I'll get that, and then I'll be able to fix Harnum the way I want to. But um Luke,
1: oh, she'll be able to get the money to keep her business afloat. Right,
0: because she wants to do this without her mother, but she, if she can get some you know uh, financial help, you know, mm-hmm. all's fair. But Luke decides ultimately to take Harnum's Paradise, be its owner, and um, so he can survey. Mm-hmm. The crime scene and
1: replaces uh, the biggie photo with uh Muhammad ali
0: inter- he gets to interject um when needed, but he ultimately becomes the overseer of all this, ultimately showing the seduction of 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 crime uh to luke cage they I... said they said ultimately they said that the first time or when initially on paper that Luke was supposed to survey the area with a reluctant look, mm-hmm. and that um you know chao hadari Coker said that. Mike Coulter uh chose to survey it confidently um and that they ended up keeping it in because they said that it was such a mirror to Cottonmouth yes, and how Cottonmouth sat there so proud that this was his kingdom and that he would be able to oversee it uh yeah a chilling a chilling um visage for those who have been rooting for this low level criminal this entire time this this street level on sleeping on the couch a criminal because Pops' rent is going up. And so, um you know, and he's ultimately... That was also a heartbreaking moment. He's kicked out of Pops. Yes. Because he's been told that... And at various points, Pops is the meeting ground for everything mm-hmm. that Luke Cage is dealing with in this season because he has nowhere else to go.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and... He's told by DW, the the kid that's filming majority of this stuff, the kid who came up with the Harlem Hero app, the t-shirts, all that stuff. He's told that if you can't keep this place Switzerland, you can't be here. Mm-hmm. This place has always it been... It has to be neutral. It has to be neutral. I don't
1: care all who I have of, to kick out. All who sorts I have of to... people have come in and out, and it's been a safe ground. And
0: we saw Cotton coming come in mm-hmm. and get you know, shaved up in season one. And no issues, no drama, maybe a little bit of smart-alecky talk, but nothing... Sure. nothing uh, Cotton too Muff very much took
1: advantage of the rules there. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, so, you know, we, we were, well, they were, they were returning props back to Switzerland and to see that the first person to break that rule is Luke Cage shows you how far he's gone far in he's this, gone. in this, um, instance.
1: It's, I, th- it's- I think when you talk about, um, Luke Cage being seduced into it, I think he was also very much like scared into it. Yes. Because um, he initially says no. Yes, and then there's the woman. He, I I think he even mentions to burn it down. Um, but there there's the woman who is one of the crime bosses that speaks to him. And he very much mentions that if they took her out, the Russians would have no problem coming into this city and pretty much burning the entire thing down. Right. W- women, children, everything. Whereas- and then I feel like he knew at that point, like, how, how could I possibly stop that?
0: Definitely. People see, people saw or see crime as dominoes, mm-hmm. as a domino effect. You knock down the kinkman and everybody else goes down, when in actuality it's more like Jenga. And, yeah. and so he saw that moving this piece here, if he got rid of one of the crime bosses in um, Harlem or that was trying to get into Harlem, that the entire thing would crumble, ultimately making a deal with a lot of these gang, gang mm-hmm. members. And at the end, when he's in Harlem's paradise, he he has requested their audience. You know, these gang members are there. The biggest and baddest that are all fighting for the soul of Harlem are in his club. Um, and they're all allowed and invited into his club. Mm-hmm. And somebody who isn't is Claire. <laughs> he tells he tells Sugar, who also is, now he has muscle? Luke has muscle? He tells Sugar, formerly Cottonmouth and Mariah's uh, bodyguard, mm-hmm. to tell Claire to go home.
1: Yeah. Who, who hasn't been seen since maybe, what, episode four or five?
0: Yeah, because Luke basically, you know, she gives him the conversation about the wrath and how he shouldn't be giving into it, and he punches out that, he punches a hole through her wall in a very heartbreaking moment because, again, this series deals with a lot of the unspoken truths of family mm-hmm. and um, especially uh, family in the urban areas right. who grow up with a lot of um, racism, uh, um, domestic abuse, uh, verbal abuse,
1: violence, um, and anger,
0: uh, verbal manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, this is what you're meant to be. This is what you can be. These are the only routes you can take in this world. These these weird um, this weird manipulation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm ecstatic that all that was brought to light yeah. because
1: Claire essentially gets triggered by this like PTSD reaction to a violent act on a wall, right? By Luke Cage and just sort of breaks down and it's just like I have to go, you need to go. I can't be here for this.
0: But I also feel like unfortunately we've all been there, right? We've all seen, um, I've seen it. Acts of aggression like that and and have to just go on to the next day and Claire puts her foot down and says enough mm-hmm. if I got to be alone if I got to be in Cuba
1: I got to go see my mom you know if
0: I have to do all that that's fine because I I have to have a level I have to have a line that I cannot cross and Claire's line that she doesn't cross ultimately makes her leave Luke
2: mm-hmm.
0: whereas Luke seemingly doesn't have a line he he won't cross at various points he is asked what that line is and he pushes it Misty finds out the line she won't cross, or maybe she doesn't. I, I, I'd like to hear your take on that. Does she see planting evidence as a line she won't cross, or had cockroach not been killed, would I, she have done it?
1: I, I think it was a line that was malleable. Uh, I, I think it was a line that was sort of stripped away from her.
0: <laughs> that she, she couldn't. Didn't, she, we didn't even get a decision to see whether there, she would cross it. She was there, but she
1: didn't get to cross that line, and it was almost, um, it was almost, how do you say, an, uh, an unfortunate happy accident in that sense. Right. She was there to do it. So the opportunity was was robbed from her. Yeah. The the, the job had already been done. There was nothing to plant. The man was dead. Okay. Uh, But
0: but that line for her is Scarf, right? Scarf is that other side of the cop that she's trying to be.
1: That's when she becomes Scarf. And because that opportunity was robbed from her, she then gets the clairvoyance to sort of see what she almost did, and then decides to just leave the force altogether because she knows exactly what's about to happen to her
0: exactly, and again, you know scarf for all his uh, malicious and evil you know dealings, had control
2: mm-hmm.
0: ha- or at least felt like he had control, and that's a lot of what life is, right like when you feel like you don't have control over what's going on or what's happening to you your body and your mind start to go into panic mode because you have to have some kind of semblance of logic yes. to your day and to what goes on. And when you're a cop and the rules aren't working anymore, like someone did something bad, we caught them doing something bad, we arrested them for doing something bad, and they're in jail for doing something bad. Mm-hmm. When those rules don't apply, when they, someone could do something bad, be arrested, be acquitted, there wasn't enough evidence, mm-hmm. uh, all this other kind of stuff, when that starts stuff start to fall apart... The rules of your life are falling apart, and we see that with Misty, mm-hmm. where she doesn't know the right way to tackle the situation, but she's constantly trying to find where that line is. She
1: knows the rules, but she's having a hard time believing in the rules because the rules in aren't them. working anymore. And
0: playing in them, and speaking of new rules, let's talk. Uh, uh, let's give you know the time that is deserved to the man who ultimately said that the rules have officially been broken there's new rules on the t- on the table and that's shades. Mm-hmm. We spoke a little bit about shades but shades has a lot to do shades in is this a series. whole
1: new person in this show.
0: Theo Rossi is a, a, a tremendous actor. You mm-hmm. know, we've seen him play Slimy and Squirmy before in like Sons of Anarchy and stuff and he always uh is he's getting this gangster role down and while he was played as um a, a kind of a bit player, a powerful bit player in season 1. In season 2, he's ultimately the gangster conscience of Mariah that pops up on her shoulder constantly to be like, "No, don't do this," or "Yes, that's obviously the right thing to do." Right. And is constantly um undermined by Mariah because as we ultimately find out, she thinks kind of little of him.
1: Yes. In the end she she her status is is too big for her to to not see over when it comes to shades and at the end, pretty much treats him at the way she sees him as far as you're just a street guy and I am, as you say, I am privileged. I am from a, a family of, of of privileged names. I'm from people who <clears throat> I'm yeah, from. Names that people care about. Yeah. I mean something here. No one knows who you are.
0: You mean as much as I say you mean to yes. people. And so um, we find out two very interesting things about Hernan, one of them is, what the, <laughs> is that? His name is Hernan. Um, We find out two very interesting things about him as a character. Mm-hmm. Uh The first interesting revelation is that he does see an eventual end to all this. He does see an eventual end to his life in the game. Mm-hmm. He uh explains to Comanche, a friend of his that he uh, releases from jail and gives a job under Mariah, yes. that... While all this is cool, the women the the guns, the money, the drugs, that it doesn't last forever, and that he ultimately wants to have a life after this. Mm-hmm. do you believe that he saw that life with Mariah, that he saw like a white picket fence and the dog and the and all that stuff like is that the eventual road that he wanted to go on when he escaped the life?
1: I think he saw a way um I think he saw legitimacy okay, you know, a form of it I think that was the whole that was the whole reason to like. Uh, not sell the gun business, but to use Harlem's Paradise as a platform to just being able to live on the outside. We're going to get this money and just get the hell out of it. Right. You know?
0: I like the, um, you get a lot of insight from the conversation he has with Mariah while she's in prison, where he says, um, well, now that you've killed somebody, prepare for life as a gangster with your head always on a swivel. And never being able to trust anyone. Mm-hmm. And the delivery and her reaction was so chilling because that is it. I've known people who try to live this life. And you are constantly looking over your shoulder because the next guy is doing exactly what you're doing, mm-hmm. which is trying to take out whoever they got to to get to where they feel that they deserve to be. Mm-hmm. And that's not a life to live. It's and literally, you don't know the culprit. And it's literally the the Wild West or or the or the jungle where animals are just being... Uh, carnivores, and you know they will prey on the weak. They'll prey on you know the lesser. Uh, the apex predators will show up and will, you know, it, it's it's killer be killed, doggy dog, all that stuff, and that's not a fun life. And you can see the exhaustion in shades when he says that because he's at that point past that life. Mm-hmm. He he's be, as uh,
1: seemingly been doing it since he was like a teenager.
0: Yeah, the Rivals, you know this gang that you, uh, I believe Willis was also in, right? Yes. It um, was
1: Willis Shades and Kim- Comanche.
0: Yeah. Uh being in this gang life um he ultimately gives up Mariah uh to to get to gain immunity, mm-hmm. to to uh, like you said live on the outs. He got he eventually was Able to parlay uh, all of Mariah's <laughs> crimes into what he ultimately wanted, yeah. And he, while the, while he wanted it with her, he eventually got it on his own, quote unquote. Yeah. Until we get to to that part, but um, the second revelation. <laughs> <laughs> the second revelation. Second revelation is that Comanche uh, and Shades are a little bit more than best friends. We, yes. We find out that although they were raised together and although they were in a gang together, they were ultimately arrested together. And while they were in prison, uh, they...
1: Did things that they had to do to get by. Uh,
0: yes. They um, <laughs> engaged in a homosexual relationship. Yes. Uh, that wasn't reciprocated or wasn't continued once uh, Comanche came back out of prison.
1: I, mm-hmm. um, It's weird to see where it is with Shades. Shades is very much uh, reluctant to even... Acknowledge, admit, right, yeah. acknowledge. or acknowledge happened. that there was anything real there, and it wasn't just an act of desperation in a lonely place. Right. Whereas Comanche has really bought into this.
0: Well, that's the thing, right? Um, he says that uh, it was you know there's very little interaction, and that they did they, 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 uh, sorry that they did what they had to do mm-hmm. to get by in such a isolated
1: area. And, and like keep that. your minds right.
0: But the first thing that I thought when when he was saying all this is are you explaining this to Comanche? Comanche was there.
1: <laughs>
0: have you told yourself this so often right. that when Comanche is able to bring these memories up that you already have a response that you know you don't believe in. And mm-hmm. He definitely don't know he believes in because he was there. And it's like, wow, you've been telling yourself this, huh? Mm-hmm. Like you've been really telling yourself this. And he, he also reiterates something similar to Mariah where he says, that, that was pretend. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what, how he contextualizes that relationship in his mind.
1: If he, if there is a, he contextualizes it as as the same thing he contextualizes everything else he's done in his life at this point, which was survival.
0: That's yeah, yeah. That that's that's true. And Comanche almost seems heartbroken by uh, Shade's um, admittance that this was only you know to get by and stuff. Um, Comanche comes out of jail instantly gets a deal with the cops to to, to try to rat on Mariah. And um when it's found out that he's working with the cops, Shade shoots the uh these cops, these um uh what are they like uh the head detective or whatever these guys uh, are going captain by the wayside Riddell. captains these captains are going by the wayside bro yes. people every season that there's an old captain that, that's <laughs> he's gone too far he's gone too I dirty was
1: three weeks away
0: you understand from retirement uh but you what a level, what a what a twist. What a what a uh, different level they added to um, shades where mm-hmm. he not only has this dichotomy in his life of gangster and what he really what he truly wants. What he's had what he's had to do and what he truly wants to do, but who he's had to be and who he truly wants to be. And I don't even think at the end of this series we have any clue as to who he wants to be. No. Um, but and- it's
1: definitely the first time we've seen him open up as a character. Yeah. Whereas he was just the 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 whispering voice in the background for all of season one that knew how to find his way out of things and was able to manipulate people into certain directions.
0: And in season one, we see him constantly being the, not moral center, but at least uh, the uh, gangster that was able to take emotion out of it. Where in season two, there's a lot of of emotion. In season two, Shades makes a lot of decisions based on emotion. He kills Arturo mm-hmm. based on pure emotion. Coman- the Comanche situation is based on emotion. Those those breadcrumbs ultimately lead to the fall of both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this weird thing that happens. He was so slighted and so disrespected by Mariah that I started to gain some sympathy for Shades. But then, <laughs> but, but then, in brilliance, they decide to have uh, to show us the. Interrogation of shades. Mm -hmm. And he gets to really lay out how much he's had a part of and how much of the death is literally on his hands. And And not only that, how much he enjoyed it. And they go back to framing him as, remember... This is still shades from all the shades that you've seen. Yes, his quote-unquote lover was murdered. And yes, seemingly his happy ending has been skewed by this evil woman who's been manipulating him at every turn. And yes, she lowered his uh, self-worth by calling him a thug and all that. But he still has a lot of blood on his hands.
1: Yes, he dropped a lot of bodies along the way.
0: He still dropped a lot of bodies on the way. So I like that they keep that level and... So much to the point that he gets his happy ending robbed from him because when Mariah dies, it turns out that his deal, his plea deal or whatever, his immunity was contingent on her going to jail. And because she didn't go to, uh, prison, she there went to jail, no not court, to prison. There was no
1: conviction. No
0: conviction, and so he goes to jail for all the all the crimes, which I thought like, damn. But
1: and and um and Misty Knight gets the only W she all, gets throughout this entire show. That's
0: definitely what I was gonna say. Um you get basically gets that W, and in a brilliant piece of acting, we see a slight smile across Misty's face. She looks down, she smiles a little bit, and she walks out of the I diner because she did one. it. She did it. it uh, she finally got one. Um, the last story arc that I think uh, encapsulates a lot of, not only season two, but Luke Cage and uh, as a whole, is that everyone's path to the top is different, but ultimately the outcome is the same. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, Cornell, who rose to the top, and he's not going to do it like Mama Mabel. No. And then Mariah is not going to do it like Mama Mabel no. or Cottonmouth. And then Luke ain't going to do it like Mariah or Cottonmouth <laughs> or Mama But we're still at the top. The, the visage is still the same. The image is still the same. The top and, of the hill. And, and, and seemingly the conclusion, with, and even, even Bushmaster. When Bushmaster gets there, I'm not going to be as ruthless and all this stuff as the Dillards and the Stokes. They're such a low, no. sick... Violent people, but he does all the same things that it takes to get to the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, is that futile? Is is that? Do you feel that Harlem is ultimately going to make what it wants out of you versus vice versa? Is that what they're trying to tell us?
1: It certainly appears that way. It's it's a tough, um, it's a tough. How do you say terrain to navigate, especially once? I guess to me, the the turning factor was. The Puerto Rican and, I think, um the Italian families. Yeah. Whereas now you realize there are so many more players in this than you think. Yeah. And if Luke doesn't step in, someone worse will.
0: Yes. And, and I it-
1: think that's, it. I, that's his safety valve to the power vacuum. Yeah. To keep someone worse out of Harlem and to keep this problem from happening – I will stand here in this spot, and I will watch over it.
0: Yeah, to, to be willing to control the flow of water, he has to put that kink in the hose. Mm-hmm. But then that also means he has to stand there with that kink in his hand. Yes. You know, with that hose bent in his hand or else. Um, I think it was an awesome uh, uh, way to world build. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's explained many times to Luke. Hayes, like, oh, yeah, I know you dig Harlem. But Harlem and its history have been here way before you and is going to be here way after you're gone. Mm-hmm. And it's the truth. A lot of the what is impressed upon Harlem in this season goes back decades, which means that ultimately.
1: Generations of crime families.
0: Ultimately, Luke Cage will be fighting Harlem's past as long as he continues to want to um, protect Harlem's future, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, speaking of future, we got a little bit of hints to Heroes uh, Heroes for Hire, constantly yes. right there, constantly saying, like, oh, you should be hired, you should be paid. Oh, Here's the amount of you? money. He was hired by Piranha to be a part of that party. That would walk. And, uh, yeah, that did not go well. Um, and then we got a little bit of team up of Heroes for Hire. Danny Rand shows up, and Danny Rand is not completely annoying in this, <laughs> which is something that I, I was very happy about. I have a very big disdain, disdain for uh, the Iron Fist uh, show, only because... I
1: still have yet to see it. Um, it it
0: it it was it was bad enough that when you watch it, you starts to not feel like the other shows, and that was the first thing that bothered me. It was right. like this doesn't feel like it fits in like the other pizza slices did on this. You know, they don't have to be the same topping, but they, they, they all have to fit inside the pizza. Yeah. Um, and I felt like uh like Danny was like a waffle in that situation. It just <laughs> like what are you doing here? And you don't even resemble what I thought you were supposed to be. Right. In this. Um, he was a little bit better. He was, um, uh, uh comic relief, you know, he yeah. was, uh, and a lot of what I saw, like, in the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, where he's all, like, chilled out and chi, and you gotta, you know, hey, bro, Stillness. respect, respect, uh, Kung Lung and Shao Lao and all that kind of stuff, and the dragon, oh, the Bruce Lee dragon? No, 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 a real, a real dragon.
1: I fought a damn dragon.
0: Yeah, like, why does no one believe me? I'm gonna get a shirt made. <laughs> I fought the dragon, Shao uh, Lao the Undying. <sighs> So he's in that, um, Colleen, uh, you know, shows up from Iron Fist. You get
1: another, you get hints of the old, um, Daughters of, Daughters the, Dragon, of the Dragon. Yeah,
0: yeah, Misty got her cybernetic arm. Not Stark Tech, Rand Industries,
1: but... I Rand mean, Tech, it's okay. You
0: get, yeah, you get it where you can get it's it, right. you know? Um, and you, it's shown to have super strength, so we'll see where that leads Misty Something she beginning.
1: hasn't quite it out yet
0: she goes from like drinking coffee <laughs> like having trouble drinking coffee to like doing like these elaborate punches you know that kind of stuff. something thought it was pretty cool
1: but like she sort of she sort of like breaks a piece of a, a shelf or a table yeah. and then it's just like whoa I but doesn't do really know how to use it
0: how do you feel about colleen and her advice towards um uh uh misty, misty this whole idea of being a cripple this ableism um the, the first of all that the, the Disgusting reactions from her coworkers. Yeah, like did you like has no cop ever been shot or like has something agitated ever where their presence in the building bothers you? Like that's huge. That's so big for the camaraderie of the team. Yeah, for you to ostracize an outcasted member because of something that happened in the line of duty is right. such a the poisonous, a toxic environment to to be a part of. That I'm surprised. I and they're pretty even much all looking it.
1: at. They're all looking at her like. Working with this woman is going to get us killed.
0: Yeah, like ridiculous. And the, the, you know she's a poster child, I mm-hmm. guess, for, for the department. So I thought that was uh, disgusting. But how do you feel about Colleen's um, take on all that? Her view. Uh,
1: I I like them together. They, once again, this is a, this is a result of some good casting of people who kind of have some really good chemistry together. Um, I don't think it will ever get a show necessarily, right. but they play well off each other, and it'd be sort of well to keep them together. Yeah. Uh, For as long as they can keep doing these shows and keep playing them off of each other. Um, It is very interesting in a sense that, despite what you may think of the Iron Fist show and however they'll do season two to to redeem that. um, That both of those shows mesh with each other so very well. Yeah. Uh, the two actors, uh, Mike Coulter and Finn Jones play very well off of each other. And they, they just seem to always be having a grand old time working together, which makes the Luke Cage iron fisting a whole lot of fun. Colleen wing and, um, excuse me. Yes. Uh, I forget the actress's name.
0: Oh, Simone Missick.
1: Yes, Simone Missick play very well off of each other. So they all seem like everyone seems really warm and friendly it all meshes together really well. I, I, I do hope we get just our heroes for hire show Yeah. myself. Was, I think that'd be the best direction.
0: It was, it was, um, it was really cool to see both, uh, Misty and Colleen mm-hmm. who both had experienced traumatic events. I'm not here to measure which one was more dramatic, nah, uh, cultless. you know, being revealing that you were in a cult and, uh, almost getting killed by the cult leader yeah. and getting your arm cut off. Um, and instead of wallowing, they choose to lean on each other, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite parts of like, comic book lore. Mm-hmm. Like, because no one can really understand what you're going through but another hero or another person that was like, literally at the same situation. Right. So instead of um, wallowing, it wasn't, and it wasn't an instance of Colleen making uh, Misty tough. It was an instance of Colleen reminding Misty that she's always been tough, right. which I thought was cool because, yes, from the beginning, Misty has always been a n- no, take no nonsense. My favorite scene um, is season one when she fakes out the cop with the fake phone. And she's yeah. like, oh, what? Someone's dirty. Who could it be? <laughs> and the guy's like, I'm not dirty. I'm telling you, it's all him. And, you know, and she fakes. And, like, so smart. Um, uh playing basketball uh, you know for 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 intel all that stuff um the stories you hear about her and nandy oh my god nandy it's a whole nother dumpster fire of a character that just was annoying at every turn but i'm pretty sure that was her intention right but um showing her as a dark mirror to misty of like uh you know when i think she let like an injury like let her you know uh Get out of the being a, a basketball player, and then Misty takes that ball and runs with it, and is blamed for running with it. And Misty's like, "I'm never going to be blamed for taking the circumstances that I have and make, doing something out of it," which is constantly her narrative in this show. Not at all. Um, and you have her, uh, like I said, through her through her eyes, you see how unforgiving the law enforcement <laughs> job um,
1: can be. It's it's thankless.
0: extremely thankless the last thing I want to point out in this is the amount of gore in this season uh, of violence I think is at a level that we haven't seen before and this is coming from a show where we see Cottonmouth beat somebody to death
1: Uh, you know he shoots his uncle you never really see Cottonmouth beat the face to death that's
0: true in the very first episode Bushmaster (laughs) swipes a blade across the eyes oh my god of of, uh, Nigel and it is it is crazy it's it's out of control, and um, you know, we have people's heads getting cut off and put on pikes. We have uh, men being burned alive. I thought it was chilling to watch from the outside of the restaurant all the gunshots, as yeah. and then they they start to slow down as less and less uh, survivors are left right. over. Um, it's sickening. Um, how they were able to digitally affect uh the man being burned alive on fire and have us watch it because we're supposed to be as uncomfortable as shades. Mm-hmm. In that system, um, uh, shade somebody who walked up to Kansas and blew her head away, right? Is is queasy over something like this and shows that um, he has done what's necessary and maybe enjoyed it, but this is a level you know, we're, we're at least told that this is a level of violence that no one should be okay with, right? Um, and uh, but Mama Mabel Stokes throwing that co- uh, you know, Bushmaster bottle inside that house and burning. Uh, the MacIver is alive.
1: Fire is a big motif in this show. Yes, because it's it's it's
0: it the the level of destruction that fire causes is often hinted on, but also the fact that fire uh, cleanses yes. and leaves almost a clean slate for something to be uh, born or grown or mm-hmm. built There's on its on its ashes. No
1: trace of what was left behind.
0: Exactly, and. Many uh, Luke wants to set his past on fire, Mariah wants to set the Stokes name on fire, but uh, ironically, so does Bushmaster.
1: But Mariah must also burn, but Mariah,
0: uh, Mariah Stokes, <laughs> no, no Dillard, Mariah Stokes, must burn. anything, uh, anything. That stuck out to you um, in this series before we let these fine people uh I wanna,
1: I, I'd like to put out a shout out to some of the supporting characters. First off, I thought Anasi was fantastic throughout this entire show.
0: Yeah, the uncle of um, Bushmaster. Yes,
1: um, I really liked them not shying away from the fact that Bushmaster's actions is affecting the entire Jamaican community. Yeah. Especially with the immigration issues that are going on throughout the country but as, as most especially in the giant melting pot that is New York City. Yeah. When you think about, you know, law enforcement being able to just round up minorities for any possible reason. Because one
0: because one minority does wrong, because one minority sets the standard as to what they all do right. and what they should be like.
1: And now they can now they're going around and just they're rounding up pretty much any Jamaican and if you don't have the papers you go away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um noting to him that his massive violent acts are having a ripple throughout this entire community that he is professing to to love and be out to help is doing more damage to them than he wants to see right but he's got those blinders on that he's not considering how much he is hurting his people on these in this soil
0: which brings back the reputation angle right like mm-hmm. how much reputation uh was a factor in this, in this entire season with Mariah's reputation, uh, Bushmaster trying to fight for reputation, Luke trying to maintain his reputation. Um, what a name! It's constantly uh, stated what a name means, what a, what what weight a name has. Right. Um. In in a neighborhood, that's all you have. Like mm-hmm. uh, I've only ever lived in New York. I've I've lived Same. in Texas for uh like a year or so, and I spent some time in Oklahoma and stuff like that. When I, I was spent in the military, a few
1: months in um, uh, was it Great Lakes? I don't know yeah, what. you know
0: I was in the military, so they moved around in that time period. But I ultimately came back home. Yeah. And uh, and your word and your name are really all you have here. It's mm-hmm. word of mouth that gets you the clout here um and that is shown to the umpteenth level uh on this show and i i think that it definitely maintained the level of momentum a level of action a level of intrigue that season one didn't and i i wonder why um uh and i can only say that they kept they kept the focus on bushmaster and luke and basically the power
1: players of this
0: everyone who was given ample screen time in this was not given it to have a B-plot. Everything is A-plot.
1: Everything is. Because it all just ties right back into the center into the center play. Also another character that I um, was happy to see used in a particular way was Sugar. Um, While Sugar for the most of the show feels like a bit of almost fan service like oh he came back from the first show and we're using him around. Yeah, and Turk, right? I'm Turk Barrett, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turk Barrett is very much like fan service. Like He just exists inside this entire show and yeah. all these universes. Um, but then Sugar comes back with an example of how the Dillards used their power in ways that weren't violence. Yeah. Where he describes how they looked after him and his family and, like when he went to school on a free ride with that sports scholarship and then his knee blew out they continued to pay for him to go to school right when school didn't work out for him they gave him a job yeah so they built this loyalty through good me through good deeds Right. With this fellow and gained a, uh, you know, a, a loyal follower out of him.
0: Which you find that happens in gangs a lot, right? When people are yeah. looking for that family, that support. Yeah. Uh, you know, gangs will offer that support. And w- another level that's added with Sugar is that while ultimately with the football career and the early dealings with Cottonmouth as, as a, a security guard or a goon or whatever you would, would want to consider. Mm-hmm. He was doing that for himself. Right. Season two, he has a family now. Mm-hmm. And having this family really ultimately helped him make the decisions that he makes going forward because it's about not only self-preservation, but the preservation of his family. If right. all this is going to end up with something, I have to have something at the end of all this mm-hmm. because, man, I'm not doing it only for myself. Sugar definitely has uh, quite an arc in this.
1: And, and Which makes it also more interesting in the end where like Sugar is right there next to Luke Cage. And it's just like, well, what side is sugar on now? Yeah. Is this, is this bad? Is this good? Is he,
0: or is he just another survivor like shades where if this is the next gravy train, you know, I have my ticket, you know, I have it in my back pocket. Um, Lots of beautiful uh uses of music in here. Kiss shows up in this. Sounds it's like it's not, Oh, does he? Yeah, like oh. Jadakiss is in this. I was like, what's, what's going on? I thought uh, he was still locked up. Yeah, Steph and Marley, uh, <laughs> you know, i uh, they, they kept up that motif of having music in it. Um the last thing I think I wanna say on all this is that I didn't realize how much I like the Luke Cage universe. As right. soon as like the score starts to kick in and those warm colors of the <laughs> of the neighborhood. That is a almost mirror version of where I live, yeah. where I've grown up. I slip into that universe very quickly, like almost effortlessly. Yeah. And I know, oh I know, yeah. Harness Paradise and Mariah and Shades and Luke in the barbershop and Misty. It's, it's and,
1: got that like constantly 80-degree sunny tone yeah. every time. And it feels lived
0: in. It feels mm-hmm. like it, and it feels like when the show goes off, that universe still kicks. Yeah. It's still moving. And every time that we the show the season starts we're just getting another look behind the curtain as Mm -hmm. to what the goings and comings of Harlem are. Um, If you had to make an outlandish, because that's what we do here, (laughs) an outlandish prediction for season three of Luke Cage, where does crime boss Luke Cage sit? I mean, he's on top. He's there with Harlem's Paradise in his clutches. Seemingly um, watching from afar is uh, Tilda. Tilda has shown interest in the club, and now you see her... Walking in there, Danny, I don't think, knows about no, Luke's um, uh, weird allegiance with the illegal goings and comings of Harlem. Where do you mm-hmm. think this leaves our uh, bulletproof character?
1: My, uh, I guess I'd say my outlandish prediction, because it was something I thought of right as the show ended, was instead of using Daredevil, you sort of use Luke Cage with Shadowland.
0: That's I, As you were saying it, the idea was forming in my head, and I agree. Yes, I
1: agree Luke Cage, while not you know possessed by whatever demon or something that makes him bad, but sort of becomes this quasi antagonistic character with the other characters like I think it would almost be a it would almost be a slightly decent defender season where yeah. they have to deal with Luke Cage being now the crime boss of Harlem and trying to pull him out of that without. Casualties,
0: and it's the same seduction. Yeah, the same seduction technique is used, which is you've always fought these people,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but
0: if you ha- if you let them, you can keep them on the narrow. Mm-hmm. You can go back to fighting them, and never knowing what line they won't cross. Or you can, or you can hands lead on many them, faucets. Or you can lean. The, <laughs> or you can lead them and choose which lines that they don't cross. Mm-hmm. And I I do think that that's a, that's what they're doing. I mean, a uh, very very cool um, comparison, but I do think that that there's a lot of that in there um we know that Claire ain't gonna dig this and like I mentioned before Iron Fist is probably not gonna uh have too much in this Luke definitely needed a hideout headquarters after the pop situation and he doesn't really have a place to live after they blew up Genghis Khanis so this club is ultimately going to be his His home and it's gonna it's gonna uh, seduce him we've seen good people turn bad we've seen bad people turn worse
1: and the worst thing you could do in that sense is like now you're gonna live in this negativity.
0: Exactly, <laughs> and and with the with the cockiness, which mm-hmm. is the only word I can call it, yeah, to say that it won't corrupt you, right? You know, and that that it takes a a lot of ego to believe that you are you can rise above swimming in garbage. Right. <laughs> you're not even gonna get sick. It's like, <laughs> c- come on, you you should be better than that. But my outlandish prediction, only because you know, like I said, I'm I'm in the bag for this thing, is that Jessica is gonna pull him out of this. Okay. That's, I'm going to assume that Jessica is going to be so tired of this or have to do something yeah. and is going to be like, this is, are you kidding me? Like, this is what you're, this is what you're up to. Um, You see the disappointment on Misty's face. Did you catch that almost godfather scene, like with the door closing and her realizing? Well,
1: okay. Well, to be honest, he- I've never seen oh, okay. the godfather, but I, I, yes. when the door closed on her and she saw like it very much felt like Misty saw Cornell again. Yeah. Like, yeah, I've seen a ghost. This is the exact same thing. Nothing's fucking changed. Yeah.
0: There's a, there's a scene in the Godfather where, um, the wife of the Don is basically saying like, this life is crazy and all this other kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. you got to protect us and we can't be diving so deep into this. And, uh, he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. And he's talking to somebody, and she has to see. Like, that is no longer the person that she knows. It's the person that he has become to lead this. Right. And um, Misty's, that look on her face, it, Misty's somebody that we knew. Saw Luke Cage the same way we did in that first episode, yeah. And since then, has had that. She was the only person
1: defending him as an ally in the constantly, police
0: department. Constantly, constantly. Oh, you're gonna laugh that he got his, uh, you know, his ass kicked by yeah. Bushmaster. That's not funny. He's a Harlem citizen.
1: Only for her in the at the last on the last scene to, to literally be pushed out. Yeah. It was like, you have to go. I have to go deal with this now. And the
0: look on her face was, you know, uh, like, heartbreaking exact- because she was like, this is, I've, I've seen this before and this doesn't go well. And we may
1: have lost him. I
0: wonder if there's a little bit of her that says he might end up ultimately being someone I have to stop, and which, which is a har- harrowing re- revelation to make about anybody that you care about.
1: Which is which is why I'm like, I sort of see it as a, as the, a defender story. Yeah. Trying to drag Luke Cage back out of there. Yeah. How do and you- like, how do you, how do you... You know the Iron Fist couldn't drop him. How do you beat him?
0: That's true. What do you think about um the use of social media, the Hardums Hero app, the tagging of heroes and all that kind of stuff? Did you like um the viral video uh, sensation of this? Oh, totally. Team? It,
1: it's it 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 um. I guess in some way it'll probably date it in a few years, but right yeah. now it 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 fits. Right. That's what you know we do. It's a. Me. They mentioned two of them: media takeout and World
0: Star Hip Hop. Um, which is very Luke Cage, anyway. Yeah, ESPN, and you've seen ESPN use these non-sport clips before, oh, you know, oh, where they catch something. And, yeah, it just uh, I, when I saw him, I, I laughed. I was like, "Oh I'm not gonna no, lie. I'm not gonna lie." I'm like, if anyone's gonna comment on this, it's got to be Stephen A. Smith. But um,
1: so sorry to see that happen to a brother. I uh,
0: I like how Luke Cage basically mentions that. Um, people's reputations are being sold to these news outlets yes for, for li- like well literally money for for you yes. know that um people's names and reputations are D.W. Waiting, himself yeah names and reputations are being sold just for, just for the next man to uh get up and how how much people are willing to step on each other in these various uh, situations from their own standpoint to get to where they got to go mhm I, I know the Bushmaster is already going to be a contender for um, the CBC Awards for a villain. Uh, I, now that I think about it, and we're talking a little bit about Cornell. Um, he almost seems like a quasi-early prototype of Killmonger, where where we have this um, guy who's seemingly way smarter than, than he is, mm-hmm. deserved a, a background way better than he got, but was shoved down this way. Still doesn't excuse his horrible, horrible acts that he no, does. No, not at all. But um, you know, uh, it was a, a early precursor to that. To that, um, not only that backstory, but the cool swagger. Yeah. The introduction of words that we hear in our you know um, lexicon of this of mm-hmm. this metropolis, uh, slang words that are used, slang phrases that are used,
1: rap lyrics that are used. The confusion of Luke Cage is like Rosklot.
0: Yeah, yeah. All all <laughs> of that, you know, the the vo- the voice of the people being spoken out of their mouths. Uh, lends a credibility that these guys are literally started at the bottom and then rose to yes. their evil, evil um, ways. But um, you also kind of got to give it up to Mariah. Uh, Alfrey Woodard showed every shade that she... No pun intended. <laughs> that she could to the character from, um, you know, crying. She, she is and, a
1: chameleon, she, and which is like the beauty of her political, you know, experience. She can play every angle and every emotion at any time she needs.
0: And you go from her... You know, sucking on Shade's thumb in that restaurant. You know, giddy over the fact that she's about to be $20 million and then eventually $150 million, you know, um, richer, to her dying in Luke Cage's arms. Right. <sighs> Completely powerless. The the one thing that she never wanted to be. And um, what an arc, I thought, for the character. She said, this is not over, and I'm very curious to see what that means. I wonder if that's just an arch-villain thing to say, or if I that's think like she,
1: a... I think, I think for her... Realizing what happened, I think she believes that her daughter is going to be set down that same path. Okay, and so that like Cage, he will be fighting Dillards or sto- she would be fighting this bloodline off. That actually for makes some se- time. that
0: actually makes sense, and them um would also lend to like the hereditary nature of this vengeance. Yes, the idea that it gets passed down, the idea that that the the old grudges don't die easily, and we still have a MacIver out there. You know, yeah. uh, might be a little brain dead,
1: but uh, right, seems- but like you could you could see. Both Tilda and Bushmaster showing back up and just continuing this, this line of violence against each other for you know however long in the next season.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. But like I said again, I I dig it. I recommend it. Uh, if you're listening this far in, I'm hoping you have seen it, or else you just heard a bunch of stuff about <laughs> the show that you probably shouldn't have.
1: But what are you um, doing here?
0: But I'm so glad. I I think it's one of the best second seasons out of out of Netflix um series. Uh, I don't think that. Besides, like, Foggy and, on on point, um, Trish, that the other shows have that large of a supporting character base, I really like Misty. Misty is almost neck and neck with uh, Luke in this, and Simone Mystic does her uh, best to, I mean, does a great job being engaging, being charming, being um, sympathetic, uh, and also playing as if she doesn't have an arm, which is not easy, right? She obviously has an arm. Um, Literally tied behind her back. (laughs) But everybody did what they could, to get this show or this series, this season to be uh, as best as it could be. And I think that it is um, above season one. For yeah, oh, absolutely. The,
1: the supporting cast was tremendous in, in making sure that everyone had a certain level of weight, yeah. whether it was the uh, <clears throat> the the recurring characters like Misty got so much more to work with. Um, Shades became a character, unlike we'd even could imagine in season one where you learn so much more about him as the person and what he his identity and stuff, desires yeah. and yeah, yeah who he is um tilda dillard comes up and like tilda dillard is the interesting character in the sense that she starts to feel even under duress the sympathy for beastmaster and their plight yeah to the point where they almost accept her
0: yeah, she's there's a point where she's healing him, you know? And yeah. she and she is and, and aiding like, even him. though
1: she's still sort of viewed as an enemy who can help them, by the end of it, he's just like you're kind of a good one.
0: Yeah. And he she aids him in murder, ultimately. Yeah. He doesn't get to commit it, but she she he aids him in that. Um, that, that supporting character that supporting cast does a lot to carry the rest of the weight whenever Luke is not on screen.
1: Reggie Cathy in his last role, I believe.
0: I wanna say it was, yeah.
1: Um, puts on uh, as great as, 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 as the father.
0: Sue and Johnny's father from uh, yeah. <laughs> Fanforstic
1: fan Uh shows up to give Luke
0: a. W- um, in the beginning he was easily unlikable. His his swagger, his ego, the way he was talking to Luke. That's in the our beginning, protagonist. I felt like he
1: was going to be another villain.
0: Yeah, that's our protagonist, and the way he was talking about him didn't make us fans of him early on. But eventually they are able to, uh, you know, bury the hatchet. The yeah. whole weird thing about Luke Cage's mom dying of cancer or having cancer and having um. Uh, having Luke's father blame Luke for it. Yes. Saying that his, his prison sentence stressed her out. That, to point his, his,
1: that his transgressions led to... What uh, an
0: odd piece of responsibility you put on a child. Right. Or not a child, he was a grown man at the time, right. but still, like what a thing to put on, on, on your son's conscience. Uh, I'm so glad that they were able to bury that hatchet.
1: Grief and guilt and such things. Yes.
0: Uh, yeah, but I have no guilt... Uh, Binging all 13 of these episodes, it was it was it was harrowing because each one is thick. They are all labors of love with dialogue and plot, um, you know, uh, twists and turns, and that's why we didn't go episode by episode because we'd be here for 13 hours to talk about the 13 hours of, of television.
1: Here. You you could arguably have a whole show based on every single episode.
0: That's what I'm saying. But I'm I'm glad that we were able to cover as much as we were able to cover here because there was so much on the play and I'm. Uh, even though I ate it all, even though I ate all the what what the uh
1: the I ate salt the whole fish plate. and uh hopefully.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, even though I had some of the of the of the what do they call that sugar beer rum beer?
1: Uh
0: ginger beer. Ginger beer, okay. Ginger beer. Even though I had some uh, I there's going to be Jamaicans in my inbox talking about <laughs> 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 you
1: just ate <say> rum beer.
0: <laughs> uh <laughs> Ginger beer. Uh, I'm st- I'm I'm still hungry for more. And if you're hungry for more of stuff like this, you know, a, a full take on an entire season of a Netflix show, or a take on a comic, or just reviews of all different forms of. Of uh, comic book media, all you have to do is look for this podcast, the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by Comic Book Click, and it's wherever podcasts are found: uh, Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. If you Google Major Issues Podcast, we're the first ones that pop right up on uh, Apple iTunes uh, Podcast app. Um, we on Spotify now
1: yeah big that's, things that's big great, things
0: we're moving on spotify Google podcast is coming is is rising and we're we're getting our uh feet wet with that so we are wherever podcasts are found we're even on youtube uh these episodes also get uploaded to YouTube so yes. go listen to the back category, the front category, meet us on the next episode. Next week, which we will be tackling the 1990 version of Captain America for the 4th of July. I'll be right here with GT Rebirth as we slog through the mess that is early Marvel as they try to get their footing.
1: You need to understand, I got this spot to do Superman and now they figured they brought me in too easy and now I have to deal with this
0: hey you gotta deal with both sides bro the Stokes and the Dillard do you understand oh. this is the, this is what all this is about oh I'm but, gonna uh, go yeah, steal a car but meet us for that episode and if you wanna reach us or find out what else Comic Book Click is doing you all you have to do is go to facebook.com slash comic book click instagram at comic book click or use the hashtag comic book click to talk about the newest hottest latest and greatest things to come to comic books and the comic book media we got Ant-Man the Watch coming up uh, Aquaman is, is, is making literally waves. San Diego Comic-Con is in a couple weeks. And then New York Comic-Con, which we hope to be at. So there's so much stuff coming down the pike. Make sure that you are paying attention and have your ears on the ground. Use your Harlem Heroes app to find out where we are and tag us accordingly.
1: Go out and get yourself a bottle of Bushmaster. I hear it's great stuff.
0: That's Hey, I, yeah. everyone who tasted it thought it was pretty damn good. <laughs> but, uh, yes, this – oh, If you could do us a favor, if you want to be your own hero, go ahead and go to iTunes uh, and rate and review this podcast because it's the quickest way to find out feedback from our audience. And not only that, it's the quickest way for us to uh, improve as podcasters is the way that we can find out what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you guys like and what you dislike. Uh, Please be kind. Internet can be a very cruel place. But I see that some of you guys are already rating and review and we thank you because we get better every week because of you guys. Uh, the click helping us grow, and plus, I've been to the future. I've seen major issues, and it becomes the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media. and do we, we get our own get building? I, I feel like if I tell you that, it might change the future. Ah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, all I can say is that we do become astronomical, and it's all thanks to you guys. So make sure that you guys are liking, sharing, subscribing, commenting, and just spreading the general goodwill of, uh, of comic book click and major issues. But... My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don.
1: I am G.T. Rebirth.
0: And this has been the Luke Cage Season 2 Recap and Review. And whether you were burned alive, you have uh, criminals in your family, whether you just came out of prison, or Or you might be... whether you
1: have just made it to the top of the hill.
0: Or whether you're the man at the top of the hill. Remember that we are the clique, and you, yes you, are worthy.